Well, it is a joy to do this for the second straight year, to essentially lay out the gospel message from the beginning of the Bible all the way until its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. We saw it prophesied in the book of Genesis that an offspring would come and he would have victory. We saw again that to Abraham it was promised that an offspring would come and he would bring blessing to all of the earth. We saw in Isaiah the prophet that this one would come and he would be king and he would rule, that the government would be upon his shoulders, that he would be the savior. And then as we saw in these gospels that have been read, the one has come, the seed has come, the offspring has arrived, and he has come for us. And it is why there is so much joy, because for all of those messages over the centuries, it's finally accomplished in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And so Christmas, what a joy it is to worship him. And I invite you this morning, very briefly, to look with me at the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. The Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Let us read this text about the amazing love of God. John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Let's ask God to help us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see the amazing love that you have conveyed to us when it came down in the person of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are a God worthy of worship, Lord, that you are a God who has loved us even when we are so unlovable, that you have reached down to us, Lord, even when we were rebels to your will. We thank you, Father, that we get to celebrate what you have done for us at this time of year especially. And so we ask that you bless our time in this word. If there be any here, Lord, who are not firm in their understanding and in their reception of the love of God over their sins. I pray, Lord, that they would become firm in this today. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Christmas provides us a, a wonderful, a wonderful opportunity to talk about God's love. Because love as we just read, was a key motivation behind God's sending of Jesus to the earth. Love is one of God's defining characteristics. The author of this very gospel, John, he wrote later in a letter, an epistle, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that God is love. God is love. God's God's loving expression sets the standard for what love actually is because God is love. Perhaps you've heard the question, what is love? The answer is clear. God is love. 
God's love towards us is not determined by our loveliness. Rather, it is determined by the fact that he simply is love. And that he by nature expresses his love towards others. Because that's who he is and that's what he does. Lewis Sperry Schaefer, an old theologian, he once wrote, Love refers not merely to a peculiar virtue which is in God, but that God is himself precisely what this term denotes. In other words, love is not merely something that our God does, but it is who he is. And expressing his love, my friends, is God's joy. As he said through the prophet Jeremiah, I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. What we are going to see very briefly this morning is that God's love is ultimately expressed in the person of Jesus, his son, the Savior whom we celebrate at Christmas. God best displays his love for us through Jesus Christ, his son. Now, there are two points this morning regarding God's love from these words here in John chapter 3 that I want us to consider. First of all, first point this morning, whoever trusts in the God of love will be saved forever. The second point is, whoever does not believe in the God of love will be condemned forever. First point, whoever trusts in the God of love will be saved forever. Notice verse 16 with me if you have a copy of God's word open. It says, the world is so loved by God, for God so loved the world. Now, when we read that word world, we have to ask, who is the word world referring to? Because throughout scripture, that word world is used in different ways. Sometimes it simply means the actual physical earth upon which we walk. So what does he mean? Well, the word world, as John, the author of this gospel, normally uses it, normally refers to humanity as a whole, to all of mankind, to all people. It even includes those, it even includes those who reject God's offer of salvation. There is a sense in which God loves even those who reject his offer of salvation. Because verse 19 says, This is the judgment that light has come into the world, that world that God loves, and people, people in the world, loved the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. So God has a love even for those who reject his offer of light and salvation. Furthermore, his love includes those who hate God and his followers. In chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus would say to his disciples, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it that its works are evil. The very world that God sent him to out of love is the world that hates him in response. So God loves the world he loves those who reject him, and of course, he also loves those who believe in his son, Jesus Christ, his people whom he has beloved in a special way. 
So the word world seems to refer to all people, those who receive Jesus in faith and those who do not receive Jesus in faith. God has a love for all, even though most reject him. But what kind of love does God have for this world? What kind of affection, what kind of love does he have for the people on this earth? Well, in verse 16, the Greek phrasing here, the New Testament was actually written in Greek. You have an English translation if you have one in front of you. The Greek phrasing in the original emphasizes here the intensity of God's love. It's why your translation likely says, for God so loved the world. It doesn't just say God loved the world. It's God so loved the world. How much does God love the world? Well, sometimes I read above it in different Bibles of mine, S-O-O-O-O-O-O-O-O. God so loves the world. Because there's an intensity, there's, there's a depth here that he has for the world. There is, there is a great passion here behind this expression. When we see this verse, we should recognize that this is expressing the kind of love that God has, which is wide and profound for the people whom he has created. Again, God has an intense love for the people of this world. Those sinners who love him and those sinners who reject him. The God who is love has an intense love for all the people on the world he created, even though all people have sinned against him. D.A. Carson, a Bible scholar whom I appreciate, he writes of this text, God's love is to be admired, not because the world is so big and includes so many people, but because the world is so bad. My friends, God demonstrates his love for this world. He demonstrates this love for me and for you, for us. God demonstrates his love through his son, Jesus Christ, as verse 16 says. Jesus is God's only son or his only begotten son. And he has been God's only son for all of eternity. Now that's hard to put our minds around. That Jesus has always been the Son of God. He never had a beginning point, nor did he ever become the Son of God. He always has been, and Jesus always will be the Son of God. As we considered last week, Jesus, God's Son, is fully God himself. This is the mystery of the Trinity that the church has been bringing out of the Bible for centuries now. That Jesus, God's Son, is in fact fully God himself. Last week, I preached from Hebrews chapter 1, and in verse 3 of that text, it says, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is the one whom the Father God gave to us out of love, the mighty Son of God, God himself. Now, what did Jesus do out of love? Well, verse 16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And then it says, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But, but what did Jesus do? Was it just his coming or was it something that he did? Well, we find out from the two verses prior to verse 16, a hint at this. 
Notice verses 14 and 15 of John 3. It says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now that's odd. Oh, we see Moses brought into the story. We see a serpent brought into the story. We see Jesus referred to as the Son of Man, him being lifted up. What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, in Jewish history, there was a point where they were sinning against God. And the way that God healed them of the sickness, the disease that came upon them as the result of the sin, was to have his man raise up on a pole a serpent. And whoever looked upon the pole, whoever looked upon the serpent in faith would be healed of their sickness and disease. It would be an expression of repentance and belief in the one true God. Well, Jesus is equating that experience in the Old Testament with what he is about to do. If you were to read through the end of the Gospel of John, you would see exactly what Jesus did. He was indeed lifted up, not a serpent on a pole, but a Savior on a cross. Raised up on a tree, suffocating, bleeding, shedding that blood to pay the price for your sins and my sins. Jesus Christ paying the price for the sins of his people as he was lifted up on the cross. And as verse 15 says, whoever believes in him, the one lifted up, will have eternal life. So Jesus would perform all that verses 15 and 14 and 15 declared about him. He was indeed lifted up on a cross for the sins of sinners like you and me. As Paul, the apostle, wrote in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He was raised up on a cross, paid the price for your sins and mine, truly died, and then rose again from the dead. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to save us from our sin. He loved us so much that his son did not just come to earth as a man, donning flesh, becoming like you and me, but his son came to earth with a high purpose of laying down his life in payment for your sins as your substitute so that you could be right with God, finding forgiveness from your sins and power from on high. What a glorious message this is. In God's love, he sent his son to be the savior of the world. And the call to each of us here today is to accept his love through faith. As verse 16 says, whoever believes in him. My friends, we must believe. We must believe or trust or have faith. All of those terms have the same idea. All express reliance. All of them speak of dependence need. It is an admission of need. What is faith, you might ask? Well, faith is a life-changing trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Faith is a life-changing trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It changes our life now, and it changes our eternal life thereafter. Now, if God had not demonstrated his love, all would perish. If you notice in verse 16, 
he says, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We would all face God's judgment if it were not for Jesus Christ. Every one of us would. This judgment, this perishing that he speaks of, is not, please understand, it is not some peaceful, restful, non-existence after our life here is over. It is not a glad time with others. It is a sorrowful time, and it is an eternal time. It is an eternal death, other places in the New Testament call it. It is a conscious death whereby a person can forever feel pain and will forever remember past sins and missed opportunities. It is the worst of all existence. It is the proper end for those who have rebelled against God. It is hell. It is a separation from the goodness of God for all eternity and the pain and the regret that comes with that. But because of Christ... This judgment can be avoided, and life can be forever enjoyed with God. God's loving purpose behind sending His Son was not condemnation, my friends, but salvation. We have prayed you here this morning so that you might hear that God's loving purpose behind sending His Son was not condemnation, but salvation. Notice again verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. When Jesus Christ came to earth with all of his miracles and his works of love, he came to demonstrate himself for who he truly is. And this was also that we might believe in him. But he also came to die to be raised up for the sins of sinners like you and me. In that first coming, his ultimate purpose was not our condemnation, but our salvation. But understand, my friends, there will come a day when he is going to come again, and on that day, he will judge the world in equity. So God has made a loving offer to you, and it's presented to you this morning. Whoever accepts Jesus through faith will be forever saved. If you accept Jesus through faith, you will be forever saved. And by faith, I don't mean some mere head acknowledgement, some brainiac work that says, okay, I'll concede that that's true. But the kind of faith that says, I'm a sinner. I need his salvation. He's offered it to me through Jesus who paid for my sins. I accept it. It's mine. Jesus is mine. That's faith. And that kind of faith changes one's life now and forever. So has your life been transformed by this love of God? Please believe. Secondly this morning, Whoever does not believe in the God of love will be condemned forever. You know, it would be easy for me to just talk about verse 16 and and not get to verse 18. But if I'm going to be honest with you about the word of God, I must tell you that if you don't accept his offer of loving salvation, you will only face the right judgment that you deserve. Verse 18 says, 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. He says, he who believes is not condemned. If you have Jesus Christ, you can, with the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That can be your song that you sing, even as God works through you in your life. This is an amazing gift that has been offered to us. It is there to be received as a gift through faith, not by works, but by a gift from God. It is a life-changing gift that when we receive it, begins to alter our words and our actions and our desires and our priorities. And it is an eternal gift. It is a gift that we receive now in our relationship with God and that we will enjoy for all of eternity. So we have an amazing gift that has been offered. But unbelief in this love of God is considered here as already condemned. In the mystery of God's sovereign wisdom, He's God. He knows all, He has planned all, and He has destined all. And those who disbelieve are already known and planned and destined for condemnation. This is a serious warning, my friends. And out of love, we offer it to all. We must offer it to ourselves and remind ourselves that our only hope is Christ. But this is a serious warning, my friends. If you disbelieve Jesus, if you trust in anything other than Jesus, condemnation will be your end by God. So, my friends, we plead with you to repent and believe in the Savior who has come and bled and died and rose again to pay for your sins. There is a primary reason for condemnation. He tells us in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. A primary reason he gives for condemnation is disbelief in Jesus, disbelief in what God has done. Now, Absolutely, no doubt about it, we are condemned because of our sins. We are condemned because of the ways we have rebelled against God. But the worst sin of all is the dismissal of Jesus Christ, God's Son. The worst sin that can be committed, according to this verse it seems, is hearing the good news of Jesus, learning about God's love that has been expressed to you, understanding that you're a sinner and that you need his salvation, and then saying, no, I will go about it my own way. Whoever rejects God's love will be condemned forever. This is a sobering truth. So, do you believe in Jesus, the one whom God gave out of love? It is my prayer that you would have this Christmas be the best Christmas by finding Christ, the love of God, in this Christmas season. That you would know the reason why this holiday is so great. We sang songs that get to it. We read passages that speak of it. It is about what Jesus Christ has done. He came to earth as a baby, but his mission was not to be a babe. His mission was to die and rise again 
for you and for me. So let Christmas be the best Christmas by finding Christ, the love of Christ, this Christmas. And by knowing the joy, truly knowing the joy that our Lord has indeed come. If you have questions, if you have needs, if we can pray for you or help you, especially when it comes to understanding this, when this service is over, would you please come and talk to someone? One of our elders, one of the people up here on the platform who've been helping, we would love to minister the truth of God's word to you today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to talk about your mighty love. It is a vast topic. So much could be said about it. You love people in different ways, but you have a love for all people that is profound to the point that you have provided an offer of salvation to everyone, Lord, by the sending of your Son. I pray, Father, that this Christmas season will be full of joy in this world, full of joy in Newport Ritchie, full of joy at Riverside, Father, as we reflect upon who your Son is and what he has done for us. And I pray this in his name. Amen.